I'm Steve. And I am Wayne, and we are back. And it is Father's Day 2020, so happy Father's Day, my friend. Happy Father's Day to you, my brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As they say, this is my 32nd Father's Day. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, my 30, 32nd. 31st, actually. Okay. okay. Yeah, because, you know, we're about a year apart. When, about with a our, year apart. Yeah. Our oldest and uh, Danny, they're about a year apart. Yep, yep. So, as they say, it's been a fun-filled 32 years of of uh, being in that role. And uh, I think part of the show tonight, we're going to talk about our reflections, you know, what, what we think and what we feel about dadhood, <laughs> you know. And uh, and, you know, see where it takes us. You yep. know? So uh, that's that's the thing tonight, since we are uh, happen to be broadcasting on Father's Day. So yes, glad sir. to be here. Yep. Yep. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna get started. I'm, I'm down in uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, visiting my son, Alex. OK. okay. Uh, we decided to get the hell out of Indianapolis for a weekend <laughs> and. Because we'd been stuck there since March, hadn't really gone anywhere. I said, well, let's just go down to visit Alex for uh, a weekend or so. And so we're down here, and Father's Day just happened to roll in while we're here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, let's uh, let's jump into it. And, uh, you know, we, like you say, we've, we've been at this for a little bit. And uh, so... I'll kick it over to you. So what what have been your reflections about fatherhood? What what are some of the reflections that uh that you'd like to share with today? <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir. <laughs> Appreciate for blue blue. <laughs> Did you hear that bus just run over me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all it's all good. Um uh, I think the, the number one is that there's no manual for parenthood or fatherhood. You know, and unlike uh, some folks, we did not have, Lynn and I did not have a an extended family to help us raise the kids. You know, so, you know, we got married in um, September of 84, moved to Indianapolis in October of 84. And, you know, our kids was not, they were not raised with any grandparents at all. And our closest relatives were, you know, several hours away. So there's no manual to tell us, you know, how to raise kids. You know, and we were new uh, in 88. We were new in uh, Indianapolis. So we were just getting to know the city and get done. Hell, we were still just getting to know one another, right. you know, after four years. So and uh, we knew that we wanted to start a family and. You know, like most parents, you know, we tried and tried. And, you know, of course, when you think that it's not going to happen, hell, it happens. <laughs> so the uh, summer of 1988, which was probably the hottest summer in Indianapolis history, Lynn was pregnant with Alex and um, I was taking graduate classes and doing all that kind of stuff. And it was, and she was just miserable because it was 90, a hundred degrees. It was just miserable. And so when, um, she finally, you know, was about ready to deliver. She was getting close. And of course the, 
doctor put her on bed rest and all that stuff because of preeclampsia and all, you know, all that stuff right, that right. men don't have to deal with. And so it was like, gosh, probably 6.30 in the morning. I think it was like a Thursday morning. I was getting ready to go to school. I was just getting ready to put my tie on and walk out, walk out the door. And Lynn goes, she makes this funny sound like, hey, I said, what? She goes, my water just broke. I went, "Uh oh, <laughs> my first thoughts was, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> you know, so, you know, as a as a parent. These days, they send you to parenting classes and all that stuff, you know, and look at the videos. And right. one thing, you know, I've got a strong stomach, but I could not look at those videos that had childbirth. And I don't know why I just could not do it. And so it was like 630 and water broke. And I said, oh, hell, I got to go to school and put together lesson plans because I was teaching so I ran over to the school and I was carrying a beeper with me back in those days. And I said, well, if it gets really bad, beat me. And uh, so I get maybe a half a mile and that damn beeper goes off. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I hustle over to school, get back and write up my lesson plans. And I rush back home. I, I call my um, uh, social studies department uh, chairman. And um, he goes, okay, well, we got you covered. So I get back there, put her in the car, and we're going downtown Indianapolis to Methodist Hospital. And, and she'll go, run the red lights. I said, I can't run the damn red lights because there's cars coming. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so rolled her in there. Nurse came up and said, hey, you know, it's, it's about time for her to, you know, give birth. She goes, I can't. She goes, why? She goes, I'm supposed to get a shot. And they said, it's too late for that. <laughs> so in about in about uh, 8.30, Alex was here. You know, so we're talking two hours. And he was here, you know. And, you know, they got him all cleaned up and all that good stuff. And we actually watched the space shuttle go up. It was This was after the Challenger disaster. Yeah, yeah. So the first shuttle that went up after the Challenger disaster, Alex was born that day, and we were watching that as they were literally cleaning him up. So, uh, but it's it was it was a challenge, man. It was, you know, we brought him home from the hospital, and and we, we didn't know what to do. Lynn says, I gotta feed him, so I fed, she fed him. <laughs> And we, you know, did what we're supposed to do. Changed his diaper. First time we changed the diaper, he peed all over the place. You know, we opened it up. We took the first diaper off, and a big stream of water went flying across the room. <laughs> I went, oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't know he could do that. And, you know, little babies got strong prostates. That thing she would have yeah. shot all the way across the room. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the comical part of it. But, you know, afterwards it was just like, you know, you just got in the routine and it was like, man, I can't believe this. You know, I'm a dad, <laughs> you know, and it's like, wow, I'm a dad. And 
you, you get to see those different little changes, you know, and you take a thousand pictures of the first kid, you know, every five minutes looked like I was taking pictures. And um, afterwards, it was like, I think we can get used to this. And then you start seeing milestones, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, he starts to raise his head up, you know, and he starts to stand on all, all fours and, and, and then suddenly looks like, oh man, he's he, land, he's he's getting ready to flip over from 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 his front to his back, and you go, oh well. <laughs> so you get to see all the little milestones, you know. And probably the biggest thing that that got me of all of it is that I just come back from football practice, and I think, yeah, Alex may have been. Oh, I don't know, maybe a year old or 11 months old or something like that. So I come back from football practice and he and Lynn were in the in the back room. And I walk in and he sees me and he goes, Daddy. Uh-huh. Oh, man. <laughs> it broke me up right there. Yeah. You, know, you know, for the first time someone calls you daddy. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that was the... The, the biggest milestone and just getting used to the atmosphere and taking care of them and everything that we had to do, we had to, you know, prepare for a thousand things. Uh, I remember going back to E-Town over Christmas and went and stayed with Joey and Sharon. And I think it was the last time we stayed with Joey and Sharon with the kids too, because we had to pack the car full of shit <laughs> and all of it was baby stuff. And at that point, I went, man, we are never going to go away from Indianapolis for Christmas again. If somebody wants to see the kid or our kids, they got to come to Indianapolis because we're not packing up all this crap ever again. (laughs) And we have not. We've been in Indianapolis ever since, man. But that's that's a small milestone, you know, just just to get through it was uh, kind of a task but now you look back at it you're so busy that you don't think about it now it's like oh i could finally look back at it but back then it's like wow you know every day was something different you know so and when stephanie came around hell stephanie hell she was born faster than alex it took alex um two hours to be born stephanie was like an hour and a half wow you know, from the beginning to the end, you know, it was like midnight. I was typing a graduate paper and she popped up out of the bed like a jack in a box, you know, and she goes, my water just broke. I went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so we get down to the hospital and uh, we had the same. This is weird. We had the same nurse. That Alex had when he was born, she goes, oh, I remember you. We better hurry up because she's not going to take very long to deliver these babies. <laughs> and, and so Stephanie was Stephanie was here in, in an hour and 30 minutes. Wow. I, I told Lynn, I said, if you could bottle up giving birth, we could be millionaires. Because I don't know people that I, I know and heard people having labor for 10 hours or 12 hours. And hell, you pop them out in an hour and 45 minutes or an hour and a half. So that's my initial experience on, on, on fatherhood. How about you, man? Oh, wow. 
Well, I, I share some of your sentiments. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's definitely uh, an eye opening experience and a uh, little little different circumstances. Uh, you, you know, when Danny was uh, was born, we were ready to PCS overseas. And um, um, 87, uh, we were living in Boston at the time, and I had got orders to Japan. And so uh, we were expecting, Cynthia was expecting, so she was going to have to go back to E-Town, and I was going ahead to Japan. And so um, I PCS, Cynthia went home, and she stayed uh, stayed at her mom's house uh, you know, while I was, was gone. And Danny was, she wasn't due for a while. And so I went on to Japan and I, I was over there and then I had already scheduled leave to come back maybe a week or so before the delivery, just to time it right, right? So I would be there. And so Danny was born. I left in, I think I left for Japan in probably June, July of 87. So I was over there for a while and then I had leave scheduled to come back. Danny was born in February of 88. And so um, I came back probably a week or so before the delivery. And it worked out, uh, but it was a long labor uh, for sure. It was long. Danny was it was probably 20 some hours, man. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it was a long time. Hell. <laughs> and so uh, she was born in Fort Knox, uh, Ireland Army Hospital. And, uh, so you know, was I. yeah, Ireland, Ireland Army Hospital. And um, it was. Uh, you know, we're, we're just in awe that this, okay, this little person is here. <laughs> and the and the nurse came by and she said, okay, now um, you guys got to come up with a name or you can't leave. <laughs> I mean, we were just into it. We're like, oh, yeah, we got to pick a name, <laughs> you know. So we, we said, okay, let's come up with a name. So we did. And and then they said, okay, we'll, uh, we'll start getting you guys processed to go home. And so a few days after that, um, we went back home and we we're staying at Cynthia's mom's house. And I stayed probably for probably, I think, maybe another week or so after the delivery. And then I went back to Japan and then they came over about uh, probably about six weeks after that when you were allowed to travel. So she traveled all the way from she went from E-Town to Detroit all the way to Japan with this brand new baby. Wow. So that, that was an experience all to itself. Uh, but, you know, once we were back united, it's like you say, man, you're just you're like, wow, you're responsible for this little person now. And uh, it changes your outlook on life that uh, it's not just about you anymore. Uh, it's about this person that you and someone else have brought into this world. And so it's your responsibility now to take care of them. And so uh, we lived in Japan for five years. So Danny was about five. She was getting ready to turn five when we left to come back from Japan. And so she did her walking. She did pretty much everything while we were in Japan. Took her first words, everything. And um, it was so funny, right? Because uh, the first time that Cynthia left me alone with Danny, <laughs> you know, I don't know if Lynn did that with you, but I got specific instructions, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't do this, don't do that, right? And so I'm there and, you know, Danny and I, we're sitting on the couch. So I said, you know, what? let's go out for a walk. So I put her in a stroller and the BX wasn't far from our apartment where we lived on base. So I put her in a stroller, we walked over there. And so me, being the progressive dad that I was, I bought Danny a bag of M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I buy the M&M's. We go back home and I get back and, you know, I open the candy and and give it to Danny. If you put put some in her hand. And so Cynthia comes back and she's like, what is my child eating? <laughs> and I said, oh, she's got some M&M's. She's like, what? You gave my baby chocolate? I said, yeah. <laughs> but it was one of those things, right? Because she didn't want Danny eating any junk, so to speak, right? <laughs> but I'm like, M&M's, man, that's part of it, being a kid. <laughs> you know, you have M&M's. And so that was one of the funniest things I remember. It's like, you know, I'm thinking like, yeah, dad's going to give you a treat, right? So I give her M&M's. And so, uh, you know, here we are, man. You 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 go through all those things. And, and I, you know, watching them, you know, talk and walk and learn to feed themselves. And I did my, you know, my chair of diaper changing. And sometimes I didn't know if I got the diaper all right or not, but it was, it was fun doing that. When you have a girl, you gotta, you always have that first time, man, when you got to comb their hair, (laughs) you got to, you got to do the hair combing and, uh, (laughs) you know, try to braid hair and get it right for them to go out and look presentable. And, you know, you try and but you're you're not perfect, but you make you make a stab at it because that's what you do. And so uh, and I think it's different, man. You may share my sentiments or not, but I think it's different when you have a daughter versus having a son. That's that's just how it is that you um, you you become very, very protective at an early age. And um, and that's the way it is with me, man. I, you know, I think our kids, our oldest children are a year apart. Uh, Danny's 32 and Alex is 31, I think. Right. Right. And so um, to this day, I am extremely protective of Danny. And and I think that's the way it should be, you know, until she decides or, you know, she gets married and she goes off and she does her thing. You know, I still feel I am her cover. You know, I I, I look out for her, you know, because uh, that's just the way it is. (laughs) You know, I can't define it. That's just the way it is. It's a dad thing. And so um, I was the one who taught her how to ride a bike, got in the car, taught her how to drive, all that stuff. That was like, you know, that's what dads do. So here I am now, you know, molding this little person to one day be ready to go out into the world. And and I think as dads, um, you know, that's that's what we do. We we provide that cover for our kids um, it's a different relationship than it is with, with their moms. And, uh, you know, they look to us for that strength, that wisdom and that guidance. It's a different type of relationship uh, than it is with mom. And so if you're fortunate, um, and I think you're fortunate, uh, that even though your daughter gets older, it's really cool. I think that your daughter still wants you around, that she's not embarrassed to have you around, and so I'm grateful for that, that my daughter still is OK with me, you know, hanging around her and uh, she'll call me, ask, ask for my input. She's a grown woman, a uh, young woman. And uh, I know I don't have the type of influence I had when she was 12 or, or 16 or whatever, but she still seeks my advice for things. And I'm grateful for that. And so I think that's what you want. You, you want as, as a dad, you, you want to be that nurturer uh, as, as you are as a male figure in, in the child's life. You want to do that role. But you also you want to be that person once they become young adults and they are experiencing the world for themselves, 
then you still want to be a part of their lives. And you know the relationship is different now, but you still want to be a part of their lives. And that's what I'm grateful for, that my daughter still reaches out to me. We still talk. We still have fun. We still laugh at some of the same jokes uh, we told each other as, as, you know, when she was growing up. And uh, we had this thing we did, man. It was hilarious. And I, I, the tape is gone. I don't I don't know. I have no, I have no idea where the tape is. But we brought her this little microphone thing. It was a it was a tape type thing with a little microphone on it. Mm-hmm. And she and I would sing Unforgettable on it. <laughs> we would sing Unforgettable on it. And uh, that was that was so hilarious, man. That, but that was our thing. We sung Unforgettable, Nat, Natalie Cole and Nat King Cole. That, mm-hmm. We sung that on her little microphone and her little tape. And I have no idea where the tape is now. It's probably gone. We've, we've moved so many times. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was our thing. And then... I would play music in the house all the time. And um, she was, I guess she was about, oh gosh, maybe seven or eight. And uh, I used to play, uh, one, of, one of the songs I played in the house all the time was uh, She Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. I played that song all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would play that song and I would say, you know, I'm saying the part where she drives me crazy. Well, Danny would say, <laughs> she would be my backup singer. You know, so it's stuff like that, man, that, uh, you know, that that's what, you know, dads, you share that you remember those things, man, because they're timeless. They're they're in that point in time. And you remember those times. And so um, I'm I'm grateful, man. I I didn't ever envision myself being somebody's dad. I never envisioned that. Mm -hmm. But life life is strange. And, uh you know, you you decide to bring a life into the world, and uh, you're responsible for that life. And uh, I think one of my, either I heard it or read it somewhere, uh, that um, anybody can be a father, but it takes a special person to be a dad. Right. And so um, I salute you, my friend, uh, for being a great dad. And uh, that's that that that's what I you know I think. People, you know, and, and sometimes, as we say on the podcast, the discussion veers a little bit. And I think this is one of those points where we're going to take a veer because the assumption is, especially with us being black men, the assumption is that a lot of black men don't aren't there for their kids. And I, I, I say right here on the podcast, that is a lie, because I know a lot of brothers, man, that that stand up for their kids. They're there for their kids. And, uh, you know, we, we get a bad rap for that. But a lot of brothers, man, are there for their kids. They may not be together with their moms, but they're there for their kids and they still nurture their kids. They provide for their kids. They speak wisdom into their kids' lives. And so that that myth needs to be dispelled. So I'm dispelling it tonight because I know a lot of good brothers that are that are taking care of their kids and they're there for their kids. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree. I agree, man. It, it's it's different, you know. It's just different. You know, all the you think of all the goals and all the aspirations that you have, and as they begin to progress in life, and you know, we always we we talked about this before. We've always had to talk about our kids. You know, our kids kind of grew up in the same type atmosphere of going to predominantly white schools and being, you know, a minority in those schools. And so we're constantly have to teach them, you know, these are 
expectations of you as being, you know, we use the old term, you know, you are a Johnson. Right, you know, right. When you walk out of this house, they're not going to care what you're going to do. They're going to bring that back to us. Right. You know, right. so right. the thing with, with our kids growing up, and I think it was just opposite for you guys, is that our kids' friends never came over to our house. Oh, wow. Never. Never wow. came over to our house because all of their friends were taught by me or Lynn, huh. many of them. And so who wants to go hang out with your te- hang out at your teacher's house, you know? So it just wasn't cool. And, and they would always go uh, over to a friend's house, you know, and Lynn and I would sometimes get upset, like, well, why can't they come over to our house? You know, it's not as if we're living in a ghetto. Right. You know, we we provide a good home for you guys and so on. So that was something that was probably the toughest thing for us is to see that our kids would go to their friend's house to hang out. And it was never reciprocated coming to our house, you know. So that's something that we had to we had to deal with. Um, The other thing is for me is that not only was I. uh, their their dad, but I was also their coach. Mm. I, I coached both of our, our our kids. I coached Alex in football and track, and I coached Stephanie in, in track. And so, you know, it's that dynamic of they never called me coach and they never called me dad. <laughs> they, <laughs> they would come over. If they had a question, they would just come over and start talking. You know, wow. because, because, you know, I guess it would be odd for your <laughs> your father or mother to be your coach as well. So how do, how do you handle that? And they would just come over and, you know, just start talking. I, I knew what, what was going on. Right. So that was probably the, the biggest sports adjustment I had, you know, as far as coaching. And, you know, we did the AAU you know, volleyball and AAU basketball with Alex and football and all that stuff, you know. So we were constantly, constantly on the mood and on the move. And the other thing is that since you mentioned, you know, talking about not having dads around, black dads around, is that sometimes, you know, Lynn would have teachers because our kids went to her school and when you know, Alex or Stephanie, you know, did something, they would go right to Lynn and say, hey, Alex did this or Stephanie did this. And Lynn would say, well, don't tell me they got a father. You know, right. I'm here. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm here working. I'm here teaching. Don't bring me this crap about our kids. Call their father. He can come over and get this stuff taken care of. Don't call me. I'm, I'm doing my job. I don't I don't need the extra pressure of you coming here. Tell me every little thing that they do. They have a father. So, you know, and, and when the kids got sick, you know, we would share the responsibilities. You know, she would stay home. I would stay home. You know, she'd stay home a couple of days. I would stay home a couple of days, you know. So, you know, we were consist- consistently in our lives because there was nobody else. You know, there was no 
grandpas or anything like that. Aunts, uh, Aunt Stacy eventually moved to Indianapolis, and but this was after they were old enough to, you know, they were in middle school and so on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was that was just part of them coming in. And she she was so busy herself that there was no, you know, personal interactions and so on that that went on too often. So, but like you said earlier, you know, we still, you know, they come to us for for advice. We still provide them advice, you know, and we can talk to them about just about anything. Right, right. You know, it's 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 also odd to when you get to that point where the kid starts doing stuff for you. Yeah. You know, do you remember the first time that Danny bought you and Cynthia dinner? <laughs> and you didn't you didn't have to buy for them. You remember that? It's like, oh shit, uh, yeah. we're not we're not paying. You're yeah. paying. Oh right, yeah. damn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and we still feel a little bit guilty, but we let them do it anyway because that's you know them growing up and so right, on. Right. And so um, we took a different approach in the fact that since we were so. Um, you know, raising them with not a lot of help, we try to teach uh, our kids to be as independent as possible right. at, at a very young age, you know, and we would, you know, don't don't tell us this, don't do this, don't do this. You know, we always say, you know, someday you guys are going to have to rely upon one another because, you know, like brothers and sisters, they fought, you know, and they hardly ever communicated, you know, and they would grunt at one another. And we would say, hey, you know, you know, mom and dad's not going to be here forever, so you two are going to have to rely upon each other mm-hmm. because we're not going to be here. And if you can't get along, then there's chaos in this household, and we're not going to have that. And so I, I think probably within the past probably four or five years, they started communicating a heck of a lot more than they did, you know, so – I mean, when they were in high school, that they were Alex was a senior, Stephanie was a freshman in high school, and they would pass one another in the hallway, and they wouldn't even speak to one another. <laughs> Hell, they wouldn't speak to me. Wow. <laughs> they walked by, and you know, Alex would give me the nod, and Stephanie would just kind of give me a shitty grin. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Ah man, I bet that's a that's an interesting dynamic. It's interesting, man. You know, so they went to Lynn's Elementary School and went to my high school. Oh, wow. So uh, it was it was quite different, but yeah, wow. we're you know like like most parents, we're proud of them. You know, they're independent people. You know, they're doing their own things, and you know, we're here for them. Whatever they need, we'll help them the best we can. You know, but when it comes to certain things, we'll say, hey, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know, right. it's like it's like uh, here's a quick story from this past week. You know, Stephanie's trying to get her. She's trying to get a dog. And so she's sending pictures about dogs and stuff like that. And she goes, well, I got to get this dog because she's a, she's allergic to everything. She, she just got tested within the past couple of weeks. She's allergic to everything. And so she sends a picture of this dog, <laughs> and Lynn says, she goes, it's a cute dog. It's kind of expensive. And Lynn texts back and says, we ain't buying no damn dog. 
<laughs> you're uh-huh. on your own. <laughs> and today we I talked to her. I said, you know, you could probably go to a kennel and find a, a dog that you can that you yep. probably would be good with. You know, it's already potty trained and all that. You know, and she goes, yeah, yeah, I guess I could. Well, well why don't you try that? <laughs> we ain't buying no damn dog. <laughs> Oh man! And they grew up. We had two little poodles until the last one died. I think the kids were maybe eight or nine years old, and we just said we just not we just can't get another dog. Right, right. Because it's too too painful, man. Yeah, yeah, it's too painful. Yeah, yeah. We did the dog thing, and uh, you know the dog hung around till Danny left to go to college, and then we had to put her down. So, oh, wow. yeah. And I'm like, nah, no more. I, I personally not doing it anymore, but. Yeah. You know, as you you said, you know, a lot of kids didn't come to your house. It was just the opposite for me, man, because kids were always at our house. And uh, kids in the neighborhood, kids that Danny met at school. I mean, there were always kids coming over to, to visit. And so it was Norm. Now, the, I think the first time you came out here to visit us, we were living we were we were living in a different house than we're living in now. And so it was a one level ranch thing. And Danny was probably, I think she was in elementary school, sixth grade or something like that, possibly. Mm-hmm. And kids were coming over to the house. Well, it's a one level house. And so I, a lot of times I'm trapped in the bedroom because I can't come out because all the <laughs> girls running around the house, you know, that Danny's got over there playing in the driveway. I mean, it was it was there were kids at the house all the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those kids um, were good kids to this day. Danny is friends, still friends with a lot of those kids uh, that she met in first grade, kindergarten, whatever. Um, a lot of her <clears throat> and a lot of them are girls. Um, they're married now, got their own families. And uh, one of the things I did, you know, uh, as Danny was growing up, because a lot of Danny's friends, you know, they knew that I was in the music and whatnot. So I, I would did did a lot of their school dances for them. You know, when they needed da- music for their school dances, I did the school dances. I did high school dances. I did stuff for college. And then two of her little friends that got married, I did their wedding receptions for free. That was my gift uh, to Danny's friends because they were good friends. Mm-hmm. I did their wedding receptions for free. And so she's got another little friend getting married here in the fall. And I told Danny, hey, if your friend wants hey, standard gift, I'll do a reception. No charge. It's it's my gift to her because she was a good friend to you uh, growing up and everything. And you guys have stayed friends. So uh, it's it's. You say, man, it's it's a it's an incredible ride. <laughs> it's an incredible ride. And now we're at the point, you know, we're we're in our 60s and our kids are in their 30s. And it's a it's a different dynamic now. And, and you realize that, you know, wow, man, I, I got more years uh, behind me than I do in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And we say the same thing, you know, that, you know, we're not going to be here forever, Danny. So. Uh, you got to, you know, you got to make sure that, uh, you know, you take care of your business. You're you're aware of what's going on you're, with your financial situation, everything, because at some point we're not going to be here. So we try to instill uh, those good lessons, uh, you know, that we had to learn because our parents, you know, we didn't get left any inheritances, inheritances or nothing like that. So we had to learn a lot of this stuff on our own and we've tried yeah. to pass that on. So. It's it's a it's an incredible ride. Uh, again, I uh, never envisioned myself being someone's dad, but 
but I am, and uh, for the most part, it's bought tremendous enjoyment to my life. So I, I think the same <laughs> way. I think likewise, brother. Sure yeah, enough. Yeah. And then once again, happy Father's Day to yeah. you. Yes, back at you, my friend. You know, back at and, you. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna segue into the next thing. Yeah. And then we're gonna talk about. Uh, I think it's TV dads, right? TV dads, yes. Yeah. TV dads. And there's a whole list of them. If we miss <laughs> some, that's okay. You know, we'll just we'll move forward from there and uh, kind of uh, have at it. Yep, yep. All right, all right. How about you? Let's let's start with you this time, man. Uh, oh, so TV dads. I gotta I, I gotta start off with my man, man. I I think a lot of people, Cynthia. She she she's not too high on this guy because she's like, man, he's always angry and whatnot. But I love James Evans from Good Times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To me, man, James Evans, he was. He was the man. He always would ride or die for his family. <laughs> and James Evan working, he get off at the work at the car wash. Then he go work somewhere else, man. And it's that's like, and he'd make like thirty dollars or something, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah. but at the time, that was a lot of money. And you know, he sat down and he had to figure out, hey, what bills can I pay? But his family never went without, man. And yeah, he was an angry black man. But at the time that good times was set in, it was hard. It was hard out there, man, for black men. And in fact, he 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 didn't have a lot of education. He wanted his kids to be educated and he wanted them to go beyond what he was. I remember he always said, man, I want you to be better than me. And he always said that to Michael. He said that to Thelma. Uh, sometimes he'd say that to JJ, but he went one or not the other. But <laughs> but he always wanted his kids to do better than he did. And uh, to me, man, he was like, wow. I he was always ride or die, excuse me, ride or die for his family. And yeah, they're in the ghetto, but that didn't stop him, man, from you know doing the best he could for his family, making sure they had a roof over their head clothes, whatever they needed, man. If he had to go out and get four jobs, he was going to do that. And so James Evans is high on my list <laughs> for TV dads. Yeah. Um, another one that comes to mind is uh, Andy Griffith. I love the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> that is probably why I can watch Andy Griffith reruns all day long. But the thing I like about Andy, Andy was a down-to-earth kind of dad. He didn't get mad a lot. He taught a lot. Yep. And he, he he taught Opie lessons, man, that you're sitting there and you're watching the show. It's like, wow, man, that's that's right. That's for me. You if you were a kid, you'd be like, I can understand that, you yeah. know? And he taught and he taught lessons. And the way he handled himself as the sheriff of this small town, Opie got to see that up close and personal every day. He saw how his dad treated people and how he conducted himself and how he always made sure that that his best friend, his sidekick, his deputy, his he always made sure that he was uplifted. Even when Barney did some of the dumbest things you could think of, Andy always had Barney's back and he uplifted him to make sure that his feelings weren't hurt about whatever situation he found himself in. <laughs> yeah. You know? And Opie got to see that every day. And 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 it's like, wow, you know, that's my dad. And you could tell Opie was proud of his dad. Yeah. You know. And 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 the other thing is that he would let Opie fail too. 
He would let Opie fail. Yep, he would let you know? Opie fail. And so there's a lesson that you need to learn. He goes, okay, you know, hey, Opie, you got a slingshot there. That's right. You, you don't want to be messing around with that slingshot. And so, you know, you know the story. Yeah, yeah. You know, Opie shoots a bird and he has to, I told you, you don't <laughs> mess yep. around with that slingshot. And then, yep. now what do you do about that mama? That little mama's gone and that bird's going to have to take right. care of himself. So. That's right. And Opie had yeah. to figure out how to how to do that, but he right. had to teach the son a lesson. To you got to fail, you can't. You make mistakes, and you got to make it right. Yep, yeah. I the the episode that that was a good one. Uh, the episode I, I I really like is the one where Opie makes this this friends with this new kid. And the kid is, he thinks he's a badass. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I manipulate my parents all the time. I, I throw fits and I do all this stuff, right? So Opie tries that. He's, he gets, he's down in the floor kicking. He's having a fit. And Andy's like, get up off the floor before you get your pants dirty or whatever, right? <laughs> so Opie's like, hey, um, I want an increase in my allowance. So Andy's like, okay, well, what, what do you want to do to increase that allowance? Opie's like, I don't want to do anything more. I want an allowance. I want to increase just for what I'm doing now. And Andy's like, no, I give you, I think it was a quarter to do what he wanted him to do. And Opie's like, well, I don't think that's fair. And Andy's like, okay, then don't take it. I mean, that, that was like, that's real life. And uh, so I, I love Andy, man. He's one of my guys. And then the third guy that, that I like is uh, Uncle Phil uh, from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I like Uncle Phil because Uncle Phil is like a lot of brothers out there. We probably know some of them. But Uncle Phil took in his sister's kid and helped mold that young man. You know, he didn't have to, but but his 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 sister felt that I think it was I think it was Uncle Phil's sister. No. Or was it Aunt Viv's? What is was it Aunt's sister? I don't it was remember. Uncle Phil's sister. It might have been his aunt Viv's, it might've been her sister that, that Will's mom and aunt Viv were sisters. Sisters. I think that was it. Yeah. So uncle Phil takes this kid in from Philly street kid, whatever. And you know, that said a lot, man, that this guy was willing to bring this young man into his home, provide for him, uh, give him pretty much everything he gave his biological kids and treat him like one of his kids. And there are a lot of brothers that do that now, man. They 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 raise somebody else's kids in various situations, but a lot of time it's because uh, the biological dad has skipped the scene. Yeah. And so somebody's got to step in and be that surrogate dad. So Uncle Phil did that. Uh, some of the things that Will got himself into again, Uncle Phil let Will fail a lot of times. So he could learn certain things about how to conduct himself in the real world. And um, I, I applaud that, man. And that to me, that was a, a great example of, you know, this is what a man does. And it, it may not be your biological, but you know what? I got to step in here and help this young man figure out who he is and help him be successful because he's not going to be a kid forever. So if I can give him some tools and mold him. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. So those are those are three that come to my mind. Uh, how about you? Well, I tell you, there's several, but I'm going to start with uh, the guy that's currently uh, pretty popular out there on um, TV, and that is Andre Johnson. 
Andre, yeah. Andre Johnson of Blackish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blackish fame. And so Andre is that that guy that kind of grew up streetwise, but parlayed that into an advertising job and dealing with a professional uh, wife who's a doctor. And then he's got four kids that are just totally opposites. You got the the one kid that's that you need to nurture all the time because he's the oldest and the namesake junior. Yeah. Who's constantly trying to come up with some bird bay, bird brain scheme to get ahead. He's got a daughter just that's so smart that she tries to ignore everything. <laughs> Because she's smarter than everybody else. He has to deal with that personality. Then Andre has to deal with uh, two twins. You know, one is kind of naive. The other one's just mean. And then he has a boss that has no clue about black folks. Okay, so he has to deal in that realm as well. He has a colleague who's kind of on his coattails, but just kind of out there. And so he has to navigate all these treacherous attitudes and plus keep his kids in line and provide them with the uh, meaningful opportunity to succeed in life. And of course, he's in a an extended family with his 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 um, his mom his uh, father and all of them play a role. Now, right. we've been in situations where the grandpa and the grandma has been there and they're, you know, have an influence and try to raise the kids themselves. You know, unfortunately, we've never had that because both of our parents uh, are, are, have passed on. And so Andre has to deal with all of that. And plus, Going up and learning how to teach their kids. Now, my my favorite episode of Blackish was season one, episode three, and that's when Junior was going to school and he bypassed uh, another kid that I think he was running for president or something, student body president or something like that. And uh, Andre uh, was helping him to take something to school and he bypassed another black kid and he goes junior he goes what dad he's so you know nonchalant he goes man did you recognize that brother he goes what 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 do i recognize he goes man you didn't even <laughs> give him the nod he goes the yeah. nod what's the nod he goes you know the nod and his <laughs> colleague goes oh man you didn't give him the nod the nod and it's it's something it's, it's odd, Wayne, in the fact that it's a cultural thing that black folks have. Right. I don't care where we are, what we're doing. I know myself, when I see another black person, I don't care where they are, where I'm at, I'm going to give them the nod. Like, right. what's up? <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> what's up, man? I don't right. even know who they are. Right. But it's sort right. of like, this is me giving you the due respect that you get for being a human being and being my soul brother. Right, right. And right, so right. that that 
episode in uh, season one, episode three, is when he talks about, man, you got to give him a nod. And then, of course, the lesson learned towards the end was that Junior finally got it because some of the people helped him achieve his goal. And then at that point, he started he started giving the nod to other other people that he uh, uh, he'd come across. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. If, if, if I could interject before, yeah. I don't want to throw you off yourself, but. I, back in the day, man, I, I was a big brother when I was uh, uh, stationed in Omaha. I'd, I'd volunteer with Big Brothers Big Sisters. And so my uh, my little was uh, – he was about 12. I think he was about 10, 10 or 11 or 12, somewhere in that range. He was junior high age, I think. And his mom was white. So uh, I come along and I, I'm like, okay, we I got to import a lot of these things into you that you probably don't understand. And one of the things that you need to understand – we were out somewhere, and we were walking, and I said, hey, hey, what's up, man? And he, he said, oh, did you know that guy? And I'm like, no, I didn't know him. <laughs> yeah. I said, but he's another black man. And I said, you always speak to another black man when you see it, brother. You you either speak or you nod your head, okay? So that's what you do. Right. He's like, oh. I said, don't forget that. I said, it's a sign of respect. Yeah. And, and he understood that. And so – he he would come home and he's like, yeah, my mom and I were walking through the mall, or whatever. And I, I saw this black man and I nodded at him and he nodded back. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's a sign of respect. Sign of respect. I said, you, you don't know. You don't know. But you have a common bond yep. as, as being as being black men. And so I just want to throw that in there because I had to teach that lesson myself. And uh, it was fun uh, get, getting him to like, oh, wow, that's I said, yeah, I don't know this guy, but. We have it's something. Almost, it's, it's a black man's rite of passage. Yes. Yes. You know, we don't have a we we haven't had a lot of freedoms throughout this this thing called American history. But that's something that they can't take away from you. Right. Right. You know. Right. And, you know, you just give that give that respect to right. the other the other person. Right. And right. it just it just lets you know that, you know. We may not know one anything, but we're in this thing together. I've got right. your back. You've got mine. Right. I don't right. care who right. you are. Don't know who you are. But right. we're gonna we're gonna move from there. Right on. Right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. The second the second guy we we talked about before we came on air, and that's the sweater man. The sweater man. Yeah. Sweater man. That's uh, uh, Bill Cosby. You know, I'm talking about going back to Bill Cosby, not the latest Cosby show, but the first Cosby show back in the early 70s and so on. He was also a dad. Now, there's controversy with Bill Cosby for what he did and, and so on. That's a separate thing. But while he was on TV, America saw him as a dad. And yep. it was one of the first times that you saw a black man that was accepted as being a dad to everyone, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. He was everybody's dad because his family, you know, once again, he was a professional. His wife was a professional and their kids. He he molded them and he gave them life lessons that they were able to achieve. You know, they had an extended family. Once again, you know, all black parents don't raise a kid by themselves. So they had an extended family from both sides. 
and they were able to teach him life lessons. You know, you know, everything from Theo's, you know, scheme to start making his own designer shirts <laughs> and, and yeah. his his sister was going to help him design this designer shirt. One sleeve was long, the collar was all jacked up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and it also allowed the dad to laugh and joke with the family. Yeah. You know, uh, they always had a, a nice little uh, theme. They always kind of had a theme song, you know, that they would do. So there's certain things that they did as a family that was uh, unique for for that group. So uh, Bill Cosby, Felicia Rashad, you know, they um, had the Cosby shows, you know, live in prime time for mm-hmm. several years, you know. Yep. So all the stuff that happened afterwards or what was going on behind the scenes, that's irrelevant to me. But as far as being the 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 the, the dad or showing fatherhood, he was he was a guy that did that back in the eighties. And it's the same time that we were, you know, raising our first kid. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we saw all those things and, you know, we were able to relate to things that were going on. And it was just good good comedy, good drama also. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there any anyone else you want to talk about, brother? Oh, wow. Like I said, there's so many. Um, <laughs> there's so many. Uh, I, I, I'll throw this one in the ring. Fred Sanford. <laughs> Fred Sanford. He, Fred G. He, he's a different kind of dad. <laughs> but I think overall, Fred was a good dad. Now, he, he, he called him on a dummy all the time and, you know, <laughs> always was dogging him and his friends and all this stuff. But deep down, Fred cared. And and you saw that in a lot of the episodes that he truly did care about his son. Now he's sixty some years old, and Lamont was probably the age our kids are now. Yeah. And uh, and he, you know, some of the some of the things that you know Lamont would get himself in, and Fred was like, "Yeah, didn't I tell you that? Didn't I tell you that?" And Lamont would go do it, and but there was a genuine caring, despite the name calling or not. There was genuine caring, and. Fred was a businessman. Now, granted, he ran a junkyard, but he was a businessman. He was a black businessman. And I think deep down, Lamont admired his dad for the for what he did to be a black business owner. He saw that, and he was a part of that. And so, uh, like Dr. Huxbill, he was a doctor. His wife was a lawyer. Fred was a businessman. He, he owned a junkyard. And uh, we knew a lot of guys back in the day, man. They weren't grand you know, their dads weren't grand businessmen or anything, but they had businesses that were vital to the community. Right. And right. that's what I got from Fred Sanford. His junkyard was a vital part of that community in South Central L.A. You know, at the time, I didn't know where South Central was. But now that you watch the rear you're like, man, I know where that is. You know? <laughs> he always talked about El Segundo. El Segundo, right. <laughs> I've seen El Segundo so many times. I mean, I mean, you had everybody in in uh, that program you had julio yeah who was a puerto rican puerto rican you had uh rollo who was a, 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 a not a drug addict but he was he smoked pot all the time yeah yeah you had you had uh bubba, bubba. you know and you had grady grady and then there's all crazy aunt aunt, aunt, aunt esther 
Yeah. You know, who always gave Fred Sanford the blues, yeah. you yeah. know, and, yeah. and Fred always had an idea to pull himself up by his bootstraps right. 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 to get out of the junkyard. <laughs> right. He was but always, always failed. Always thinking. <laughs> and so I, I, I have to add him. He, he, he's one of my favorite different kind of dad. But uh, you cannot deny the fact that he cared about his son. He cared about his family. And uh, and I and I respect that man. So the Sanford and Son is one of my favorite. I've got every episode that ever came. I got the whole series. So <laughs> I, I love Sanford and Son. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. There's so many, man. And we, we were talking about a few more of them on the air. Uh, but there's so many. Uh, but I think just the ones we've named, man, you you can see the qualities and uh, that the, each of these these gentlemen possessed. And, uh, you know, we may have picked up some of their nuances and added to our, you know, how we flowed uh, with our parenthood and whatnot. But um, I, I say they, they were good examples, um, even, you know, television wise. They, they always put up a good example. They 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 were doing the right things uh, and doing the right things for their family. Might have been unorthodox at times. In some occasions, but overall, uh, good role models for TV dads. Yep. Yep. I agree 100 percent, my friend. Yep. I agree 100 percent. Yep. Yes. I, I want to throw one more quick one out there. All right. Throw it out. We mentioned that, too. And that is Ricky Ricardo. Ricky Ricardo. Desi Arnaz. <laughs> Desi Arnaz. Probably one of the most inspirational always getting jacked up guy that we had and his crazy wife Lucy man they were always entangled in everything and once again we're going the gamut here you have a a Latino father you know that was uh, portrayed on TV Uh, he was Cuban and um, uh, Lucy was uh, crazy but uh, they were always into um, and, and actually, for the first time, this was was new, is that they actually showed someone being pregnant for the yep. first time on TV. Yep. Because back in those days, they didn't, you know, talk about pregnancy or anything like that. And Lucy was the first, because of uh, standards, or uh, I can't think of the board now that. Yeah, the uh, that FCC. A, yeah, they they. Yeah rated all that stuff so yep, yep. they wouldn't you know they always saw twin beds you know yep. man and woman never were in the same bed unless one foot was on the floor or the door was open and all that kind of stuff you know but yeah ricky ricardo was uh that latino father that we we love to to love and he was always into something and he you know, actually had uh, his his first family there I mean, these weren't his real kids but uh, little Ricky was uh, was the uh, first uh, baby idol as far as television goes. Now, Shirley Temple and people like that was films. But little Ricky, you know, he made himself his own 
made himself yeah. his own star right there. So yeah. we give props to Ricky Ricardo and Lucy as well. Yeah, yeah. he's a big band leader. On, yep. I think he owned his own club. He owned, owned his own club. club. He's a band leader. And, uh, couldn't yeah. sing. He couldn't sing for crap. <laughs> but, man, he was always sharp. He always yep. had some nice suits on. Yep. Yep. And every now and then he would come and have a zoot suit on. Yeah. You know, the bag I love this. <laughs> I love the baggy pants and the tight cuffs, man. Yeah. And, yep. and always had a jacket on, a sports coat on. He did. Always you know? clean. He's always clean, man. Always clean. Yes, yep. sir. Ricky Ricardo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. All right, brother. We're at the top of the hour. We are at the top we of the are. hour. We could go on and on and on, but we're yeah. gonna uh, we're going to let that go on and we're going to pass on to the next until we get to the next episode. So this was a lively conversation. It was. It was. And a good way to wrap up the day. Uh, again, Father's Day. Glad to be here. And happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And uh, we wish you well and uh, hope you had an enjoyable and blessed days with your blessed day with your family. And uh, fatherhood is a very important job. And so we salute all the men out there that are stepping up to it and, and putting in the work uh, with their families day in and day out. Yep. And we like to su- support and recognize all those fathers that have passed on, that's given yep. guidance to all these young yep. men around the world who have showed them the, a positive, a positive way of being a, um, uh, a role model. And we'll, um, you know, give them a little bit of respect as well, because my dad's passed on and um, I I never really was able to be a friend to my dad other than him being my dad. Because, uh, you know, once I got out of high school, I went ahead and went into the military. Right, right. And before I got out of the military, my dad had died. So I never had that, you know, the same relationship I have with my kids right now. Uh, as being an adult father, right, right, you know, because my dad died when I was 22, I think it was, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, yeah I want to give pay homage to all those dads that's passed on, yep. and then we'll yep. um, we'll just move forward with the Across the Tracks podcast. Yeah, yep. uh, you guys want to hit us up? Please do so, and um, we're we're out there. We're trying to expand our audience, so. Turn us on, turn us on to some of your friends, and then we'll move forward from there. Yep, yep. And before we go, I, th- I think I think we could say this: uh, there there are a lot of women out there that are holding it down. Yep. When dads are not there, there are a lot of women holding it down. So they're they're pulling double duty. They're being mom and dad. So I think we would be remiss if we didn't salute uh, those women that are you know they're they're being dad too. So um, we salute you as well for, for, for playing that role and filling that role uh, with your kids. So, All right, my friend. Add that in. All right, my friend. All right, all right. This has been uh, Across the Tracks. Check us out. Let us know we're, how we're doing. Add your comments, whatever. We're here. And until we meet again, I'm Wayne. And I'm Steve. We're out. Chiliamo dopo. Sayonara. Sayonara.